0: Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, a product of Talent 409. I am your host, Colin Sernelia. Thank you for joining us today. Go to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Radio.com, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. Please consider taking a minute in on Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and review. Doing this helps other dynamic leaders find us, and it helps us find other dynamic leaders. And don't forget, you can now ask Alexa to play your favorite Apple Podcasts on any Amazon-enabled device. Just say, Alexa, play the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Getting Dynamic Leaders with Colin Cherniglia from Apple Podcasts. On to my featured conversation today with the great Joy Walker. Joy is a former Division I Hooper and coach. She is now the owner of Sets for Life and the creator and host of the Sets for Life podcast, which focuses on student-athlete development. She is the author of The Sweet Spot, Finding a Purpose in Life After Sports, a book that helps the other 98% find passion outside of sports and pursue new dreams. Joy was so much fun to talk to. She has an amazing background and some really great advice. So let's discover our talent altitude. Here is my conversation with Joy Walker. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest with me is Ms. Joy Walker. Joy, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Hey, Colin, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally excited to get into the conversation today. We are doing very similar work to each other, and I'm excited to hear from your perspective, your expertise, your background overall into all this. But I don't want to spoil it for everyone. I want to give you an opportunity first to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you?
1: Who are you, Colin? That's a loaded question, Uh, depending (laughs) on how much time your listeners have. Like you said, my name is Joy Walker. I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri, grew up there. And from ever since I could remember, I just had this obsession with basketball, just totally obsessed, wanted to play pro. I mean, it was just, it was my life. So I had the opportunity to go on and play in college, which which was great. Played four years, had some good times, had some great memories, but as I mentioned earlier, Really wanted to go pro, but that just never happened. So I went from playing in, you know, arenas and traveling the country to being on the couch with no job because I did not adequately prepare to enter the job market. I just I wasn't ready. I wasn't competitive when it came to to interviewing. So from there, I finally got a job in my field in accounting worked in accounting for a couple of years and absolutely hated it. <laughs> so one day I got a text from an old teammate and she's like, Hey, Joy, I have this summer league. me play every Wednesday. Would you like to play? And I'm like, absolutely. It had been a couple of years since I had played. So the, the summer league went really, really well. And I found myself living for these Wednesday night games. So after a while, I'm like, man, I hate this career in accounting. I hate corporate. Why don't I just go coach? Like I love basketball. I should go coach. So I went and I got into coaching. And after a few years, I was like, well, when I first got into it, I was like, oh, this is it. I'm about to coach. I found what I want to do. I was excited. But then things started to change. And as year after year went on, I noticed that my players were just like me. They were so obsessed with basketball, so focused on the sport that they weren't adequately preparing for life after sport. So I started reading different books and I looked at some of the different programs across the country and I just couldn't find something that spoke to me. And I've never really been one to... To criticize or to talk about problems, like I want to come up with solutions. So I came up with what I'm doing now, and now I would just really describe myself as an advocate for athletes who are really trying to figure out who they are outside of their sport. So that's me.
0: All right. So a loaded question leads to a lot to unpack I want to start, though, pretty simply with basketball. You mentioned that you had a passion for that very early on. What was the reason behind that? Was that something, your upbringing, your parents, family, anything like that?
1: I really couldn't tell you. My mom tells this story of every time she wanted to do the dishes or whatever, she would sit me in front of the TV starting at like eight or nine months old. And she would flip through the channels, you know, to see you know what was on. And if she tried to go past a basketball game, I would literally throw a fit. Like Before I could even talk or articulate, I was just drawn to the game of basketball. My mom didn't play, my dad did, but I just went on from there to summer camps, to AAU, high school. I mean, before I even made it to college, I just wanted to walk like a basketball player. I had to have all the Jordans and Allen Iverson shoes. I had to have the braids. I'd have the headbands, even if I wasn't playing like I have. I was just totally. And if you ask any of my like high school or AU teammates, they'll tell you like nobody loves basketball more than joy, period.
0: Beautiful. So obviously it takes a pretty special work ethic to be able to get to play AAU basketball, get to be able to play at the collegiate level. You play Division I basketball. Can you talk to us a little bit just from that sense, that aspect of everything, what it took for you to get from playing with maybe some folks that didn't take it as seriously and it was more of just a game to them, to someone like you that had that serious passion and wanted to play at the highest level possible?
1: I think two things go into what made it simple for me. When I look back on it now, I'm like, oh, my God. I really put in all those hours in the gym, but when you really, really love something, and when you're obsessed with it, it doesn't matter how much time you have to put into it to get better. That's number one. Like it, if you love something, if you love doing it, you're going to put in the work, the necessary work to get things done. And then, secondly, for me, basketball was my way out. Um, I didn't come from the best circumstances. I didn't have somebody who was going to write a check for me to go to college. So. I had to make it. I had to play basketball if I wanted to go to college and change my circumstances and do something different from what the rest, rest of my family was doing. So I really had two things I went into it. Like I said, I loved the game. So working hard wasn't an issue. And then secondly, it was my way out. So I had no plan B. I had no other option. It was like literally ball or die. That was it for me.
0: Sure. So that can in some ways be equated to a level of adversity that you've overcame In your life to be able to get away from because like you said there's there's no plan b so either you were going to make it or there probably wasn't a whole lot of opportunities for you do you think that that particular aspect especially now in this type of role that you're in and the type of people that you help that adversity is like one of those things that people have to be able to go through in order to truly know like where they can grow and how far they can go in life
1: adversity That's a great question. Adversity is something else. And I look at where I am now, where I work and the student athletes that I work with sometimes and, and not trying to be funny or just, I don't even want anyone to take it the wrong way, but I look at some of these kids who make it to some of these schools and it's literally a miracle. <laughs> when you think about the backgrounds that they come from and they're just super, some of them just hit the genetic lottery. Like they are just super talented there. They have the size and, but they have this grace on the field or on the court. They're super athletic, but when you when you talk to them and you hear about their stories and where they come from and what they've had to overcome and what they deal with, they have other peers who have who have only seen those things in movies. But that's their real life and not to exaggerate, but we we have some some kids, some athletes who who go hard and do certain things because that's their only option. Um when I think that adversity is a blessing in disguise, it's a gift because it pulls it pulls things out of you that you didn't know were in you in the beginning. So adversity can be seen as something like, oh my gosh, why do I have to deal with this right now? But I think when you look back on it, you'll see that you wouldn't be who you are now if it had not been for that adversity in your life.
0: Yeah, I love that. And it actually reminds me on the men's side, LeBron James has said before, I'm just a kid from Akron, I'm not supposed to be here. And obviously he's Arguably the second best, maybe one of the best basketball players of all time. At least the second best basketball player. But it reminds me of that, <laughs> and I want—I just want to dive a little bit further into that because it's—it's it's so interesting to know that there are unfortunate generational situations where there are folks in in race, gender, religion, whatever it is, they fall into this cycle where it just because it's the only thing they knew, that's what they continue to do. But a lot of times you do see these athletes that come from nothing and they have this drive and this passion and it takes them out of this really bad cycle. And I'm wondering, have you been able to identify like where that switch is, like where that line gets crossed where a student athlete can say, whoa, something different can happen here versus I'm the one like, is is it something as simple as like a parent needs to be supportive and say, hey, don't be like me. Like, I understand I went down that same path as the generations before me, but you have the choice to make a a different path for yourself. Is it something like that? Or have you been able to identify other aspects and reasons why that happens?
1: I think that it could be a variety of things. And I I love that you mentioned LeBron earlier. Uh, I listen to I'm a big I'm a podcast, so I love listening to podcasts. Listen to a podcast recently where he talked about, like you said, him being just a kid from Akron, but him being the first person. I think about this. LeBron being the first person in his family to have a job.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: He was the first person in his family to have a job. Everyone was on welfare or they were doing things that were illegal. And he was the first one to have a job. And I think that, and I can't speak for LeBron, but I can speak for myself, maybe for some other student-athletes. If you get this picture in your mind, you don't even have to have a parent or a coach. For me, seeing Allen Iverson, seeing Michael Jordan, seeing Lisa Leslie, seeing Cheryl Swoops, whoever it was, I I literally I had that image in my mind over and over and over my 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 childhood bedroom was surrounded with posters of my favorite basketball players on TV all i watched was espn whatever you feed yourself whatever you see over the images that you replay in your mind you'll figure out a way to get it done and you'll look up one day and you'll be and you you might come from circumstances that aren't ideal but then you'll wake up and you'll find yourself on a college campus going to school for free, traveling the country, all this sweet gear, having an opportunity that most people don't have. So I think it is, and you might have somebody along the line who pours into you who says, hey, you're special. You have talent. You have this gift. But once you get a, a picture in your mind and you get a pit bull grip on that, and you say, I'm going to play college ball, no matter what, you just tend to figure out a way.
0: Yeah, I love that. Thanks for diving a little bit further into that. So I want to go back to focusing on you a little bit more. You get to College and as you mentioned a little bit earlier, played college basketball, South Carolina State University, correct?
1: Yes, sir. Home on the Bulldogs.
0: So tell us about that experience. And I think what I'm most curious about is the overall the difference between the competition in high school and college and the in the jump in the preparation or what you had to do in order to make it to be able to contribute at that level.
1: Oof. Another loaded question. I love it. I really love it. You know, going to South Carolina State University changed my life. I had, and I have some teammates who maybe didn't have the greatest experiences. I had an incredible experience. I had a great coaching staff. I had amazing professors, and I still talk to my head coach, my professors to this day. I had great teammates, a great environment, Um, and I, I think that the biggest the biggest transition for me was coming from high school. I was super athletic. I'm um, still pretty athletic. If you you were to ask me, I would tell you I'm athletic. I was super <laughs> athletic. So in high school, I literally I could out jump everybody. I didn't have to box girls. I could get every rebound. I didn't need real post moves because I was I would just jump over you and score the ball. So when I got to college, I realized, oh, everyone was the most athletic person <laughs> in their hometown or on their college or on their high school team. And I realized quickly that I had to put some more work in, and I didn't really realize it. I know a lot of people are familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, and he breaks down ten thousand hours. Yes, my freshman year of college was was not what I thought it was going to be in my mind. But my when I I went back and did the math. I started playing organized when I was nine. And Malcolm Gladwell says it takes about 10 years to get 10,000 hours in. So I started playing when I was nine. When I was 19, my sophomore year, my game went to another level. And it wasn't magic. It wasn't some brand new drills. I promise you, I literally hit my 10,000 hours when it came to playing basketball. And from there, I was able to just really see things differently. Um, So I think that you just, when you get to college, you have to sort of self-assess. You can't rely on your coaches to tell you what your weaknesses are. I Notice, I need to get in the weight room. Like these girls from the South are different from the girls back in the Midwest. So I wasn't as strong as they were and me being athletic didn't work anymore. So I had to look at myself and make those adjustments. And that's what was able to make to, in order to cause me to have a great time while I was at South Carolina State.
0: How about from a cultural perspective? Can you talk to us about what it was like to be a part of that team and maybe some of the lessons that you learned or some of the memories that you have from that time?
1: Another great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> the culture was, was definitely unique. It was because when you're playing in high school – um, you, you just play with a lot of your teammates from, you know, your neighborhood, your area, your high school, but now I was exposed to girls from all over the country. One of my best friends to this day is from Vegas, and she brought a different perspective. She grew up different than I did. I had another good friend who was from Baltimore, friends from Virginia, and I think the great thing about college is you have to, I think you have to get out of your current surroundings and your current circumstances to see people who are the same age as you, who think differently. Um, and my coach Coaches were very adamant about setting a certain culture Um, and not and I really appreciate coaches who don't just recruit for talent, but who recruit for character and who put you in environments with the right people. So the culture was was second to none for sure.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point, too, that you finished up with. Recruiting for character on top of talent is obviously great, but recruiting for character and then recruiting for the right environmental fit. So whatever that is, if you want to call it a system, if you want to call it the culture, I think those are really great points to highlight that. So I'm going to, for the time being, we're going to skip over the part where you want it to go pro and you found yourself jobless because I want that to lead into a bigger conversation toward later in our conversation. But right now where I want to go, and I just want to spend quick time on this because I know you said that you hated it, but your corporate experience. So you get into the corporate world. I know it wasn't a great experience, but do you think that looking back now, there were lessons that you learned that you've been able to take with you now and you're running your own business?
1: Oh, my goodness. Nightmares from corporate. Let's go there. No. Um, (laughs) You know, it was culture shock when I got there. I was accustomed to the locker room and I and I'm not a big rah rah in your face type person, Mm -hmm. but I was used to that environment. Um, and when you're an athlete, I think sometimes you sort of transform into your alter ego once you're on the court and when you're in the locker room. And I got to the office and it was just mundane and it was quiet and it was the same thing over and over again every single day. It was like a living nightmare. I hope my old boss isn't listening to this. But <laughs> my one of my supervisors made a point. And I had only been in the accounting job for maybe two or three months at this point. And she said, Joy, you know, you're." and she was complimenting me, but I had to think twice about what she said. She was like, Joy, you're just running around this office like you're like you're still on the basketball court. You're just hustling and getting things done. And she sort of thought it was a joke. But I really thought about I had never thought about how I needed to maybe flip the switch and understand that I was in corporate and I was not in collegiate sports anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the lesson there was there are certain things that you can take away from your sport. And apply to corporate, and there are some things I learned structurally, especially as an accountant, that helped me in running my own business. So it wasn't wasted time, but it. And I think it's also important to figure out what you don't like. I had plans to. I had taken the L set. I love tax, so my plan was to be a tax attorney, CPA, all those things, only to get into corporate and realize I I hate corporate. So I got to figure something else out. But like I said, it's important to figure out what you don't like, but. I learned so much from corporate and it was short lived but I will carry those lessons for the rest of my life.
0: Yeah, and I again I love that highlight that you made that sometimes finding out what you don't like is just as important as knowing what you do like and, and it's unfortunate that you sometimes have to get that hands-on first-hand experience to realize that it's not something that you want where you could be putting that time towards something else but it's just unfortunately part of life but you move on. So we are going to piggyback that and move into, so you are the owner of Sets for Life. You host a podcast called the Sets for Life podcast. You are the author of The Sweet Spot, Finding Purpose in Life After Sports. I want to hit on all of these points, but first I want to just start going back to you were trying and I don't know if desperate's really the right word, but I'm sure in some ways it maybe felt like that, where you just wanted to go pro in basketball. There was no other thing in the world that was going to make you as happy as going pro in basketball would have been. And you said earlier that you never got to that point. You found yourself jobless. Can you just dive a little bit further into what that whole experience was like for you?
1: You want to take me back to that couch today? <laughs> applications and getting crickets but you know the more that i think about it and the more that i talk about it the more that i talk to other athletes i have to really i've been doing a lot of self-reflection and now i wonder if i really wanted to go pro because i wanted to go pro or if i wanted to go pro because i literally didn't see any other options for myself interesting and i I think that a lot of times as athletes, we are sold one dream and that's going pro. And that's great. You can make a lot of money and, you know, change things for your family. But I think that that's a dangerous message because none of us were born with just one gift. We can do more than just knock down step backs and catch touchdown passes. um So when I when I was on the couch, it was I felt like I failed. I had I had gone to college. I had a bachelor's degree. I had a master's degree by the age of 23. I had done more than most people in my family had done. I should have been proud of myself, understanding that, you know, looking for a job is a process. Some people go through it at different times throughout their career. But I, I overlooked what I had accomplished. And I was so stuck on not hitting that one mark that I fell into depression. Um, and I sat on that couch for months and months and I interviewed and I got no after no after no after no. And it was a it was probably the, the darkest place I've, I had ever been because for so long, basketball was my life. I had no clue who I was without basketball. But I think that it was necessary in order for me to figure out that I had more in me. I could do more than just bounce a basketball and make a layup. So it was it was a tough part of my journey, but it was a, a pivotal point at the same time.
0: So you go through this experience. And obviously, as human beings, I don't think we wish bad experiences or adversity upon anyone. But again, this is a moment of adversity for you to learn and to grow. And ultimately, so is the very next thing in your lifetime line? Did you decide that from that point, you were going to start sets for life?
1: oh no so that was before I even went into corporate so that was really like after grad school um i didn't i didn't really intern like I should have so that was that was way before so how sets for like him about was like I said i got into coaching uh, got into coaching for a couple of years thought that, that was what I wanted to do forever but realized that there was an issue there was an issue. And my players were about to, I literally in my mind could see them going and sitting on the couch the way I was sitting on the couch. And I didn't want that for them. I wanted them to to have more options. I wanted them to see what they were capable of. So that's what really led me to starting sets for life was seeing my players and like, oh my gosh, there's 15 little me's. And if I have to come up with something that's going to help them um, to transition and to be better off than I was when I graduated.
0: So I read on your website to reiterate basically what you just said that what you do in the student, student athlete development realm is you help that other 98%. We've all seen those commercials if you've watched college sports before. The other 98% of collegiate student athletes find their passion outside of sports and find that new direction in life. What I'd love to know is how this process Get started? Like, are you seeking out these kids? Do you have affiliations with certain schools, certain programs? How does this all work that you're able to impact kids in such a positive way?
1: The internet is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, through podcasting, I've been able to build relationships, whether it is with schools or with student athletes uh, individually. I have some who will shoot me an email who will DM me and say, hey, you know, my friend and my coach shared this podcast with me. I wanted to know if, you know, had some time to talk, or maybe we can talk about some things. Um, so it really started there and it just started to grow. Um, and I think the big thing is, it's not like a, a secret or some formula, life leaves clues. And as athletes, we put some of our other interests, our other passions on the back burner And I encourage student athletes to maybe start by exploring some of the things you would have done if sport wasn't taking up 23 hours out of (laughs) your 24 hour day. I'm exaggerating. But, you know, I start there and I think that it's important to focus on the individual. We have tons of amazing student athlete development programs across the country where we polish up your resume. We take you through mock interviews and that's great. And students, you know, they're graduating with jobs, you know, some of them, maybe not, but, a lot of them they'll get to the cubicle like where I was a few years ago and they don't know who they are like they really really miss their sport or sometimes they settle for jobs that are beneath their potential just because they don't really have the confidence in an interview or in some other areas to really articulate their skills like all they know about themselves is that they're this division 1 division 2 athlete um so it's it's really really it it depends on the individual, but I think that we have to take a more individualized approach instead of just this blanket, just this cookie cutter approach. So, this is what's going to help you transition. Like, everybody needs their own customized plan.
0: Sure. And I can certainly appreciate that from doing very similar work. And I tell my wife all the time the cookie cutter drives me crazy because <laughs> I
1: love
0: it <laughs> it just it, it just should not even be an option because we're all human beings we're all different and we all have like you said just amazing skill sets in life that can do so many different things and if there's already too many cookie cutters out there we don't need to add to the pile so hey
1: everyone Christine here to talk about a sponsor of this show my own business sweat with
0: studs. Head over to sweatwithdads.com to get the workout that suits your needs, whether you work out at home, in the gym, or you're brand new to fitness. There's something for everyone.
1: Podcast listeners also get a special discount with code DYNAMIC at checkout, so be sure to head on over there after this. Thanks and back to the show.
0: What I'd uh, like to know a little bit more about too, so being able, this, this is more for you personally, so being able to educate yourself and being able to keep up with current trends, whatever it is that you're teaching, do you have a process or a way that you're able to gather all of that information? Because I know it's a lot and you can go in so many different directions, but whether it's conferences, podcasts, do you have maybe like a few that are just really stand out to you that you can shout out right now?
1: Oh, absolutely! I have like way too many podcasts queued up and ready to go. Like, I need I need like a thirty hour day to get all my podcasts.
0: In. <laughs> Same.
1: Um, uh, two two of my favorites. I'm a huge Eric Thomas fan, so The Secret to Success is one of my favorite podcasts, and I think that it's special because Eric it's Eric Thomas's podcast, but the host CJ, his right hand man, always talks about the fact that the guys on the show are just three regular guys. Three regular guys from the Midwest who now run the number one motivational company, self-development company in the world. I um, mean, I can relate to that because I'm just a girl from the Midwest. You know, Midwest, we're blue collar. We work hard. Um, so that's that's one of my favorites. Another one that's part of my daily routine is the quote of the day show. Um, It's like 10 to 12 minutes. It's a quote from a different speaker or a thought leader every day. And it just gets my morning up and rolling and podcasts are a huge, huge part of my personal development.
0: All right. So now switching over to the student athletes that you're helping, what do you think is maybe the most common ask that you get? Like, is there one specific area that more often than not, these people are coming to you and saying, Hey, I need help with this.
1: Oh, you know what? I get the same question over and over again. They come in my office on a regular basis and they sit down in the chair across from me and they say, you know what? I don't know what I'm good at outside of my sport. And it Breaks my heart every time I hear it, Um, and it's from every sport. It's males, it's females, everyone, Um, and and they they might come in and close the door because they they listen to maybe a couple of podcasts episodes or they heard about the book, and they're like, you know, well, how did you figure it out? And It's so crazy to me because I'm not their age anymore. I'm a little bit older and I'm always watching. Like I'm going to their games. I see how they interact. And sometimes it might be the team captain who everyone on campus admires and who people aspire to be like. And they sit in my office with the door closed. And I'm like, I just don't know what I'm good at. And I could literally name 10 things that they are amazing at, but they only see themselves through that one lens. Um, So that's the question that I get the most. And of course, Every time someone asks me, it's going to be a different response, depending on our relationship and how I've seen them interact on campus with their team, you know, on the road and other circumstances. But that is the number one issue that student-athletes come to me with on a regular basis.
0: So the flip side to that then would be these kids come to you. They're obviously looking for some type of guidance, some type of direction and you are obviously more than willing to be able to provide that for them, but you can only do so much. At the end of the day, it's up to the individual that you're working with to be able to put the work in or to be able to identify what it is that they're passionate about and the direction that they want to pursue. Knowing that, what do you think is the biggest obstacle that student athletes have these days in order to get to where they want to be?
1: It's crazy when you start a podcast, you have in your mind who it's going to serve and how it's going to benefit them. But then you start it and it's totally different from what you envisioned in your <laughs> mind. And in my mind, I wanted to tell the stories. I wanted to talk about the the good, the bad, and the ugly from the transition to athletes figuring it out. But I think the greatest thing I've gained, and like I said earlier in our talk, I think that a lot of athletes overcome these crazy circumstances and make it to these division 1 schools because they had an image in their mind of their favorite football player, their favorite tennis player, whatever. And they got there because they had that image, they had that example. And a lot of them struggle to transition out and figure out what's next because they don't they don't have examples, they don't have mentors. So through the podcast, I have literally talked to former athletes in every industry you can think of, whether it's real estate investors, NASA engineers, doctors, people who have their own startups, mobile, whatever. Like I've talked to everybody and every time an athlete comes into my office and they have these concerns, they have maybe an idea of what they want to do. I know what their major is, what they, what they're thinking about. I have been able to fortunately pair them with someone who's been on my podcast and they have been able to mentor them, to, to give them some ideas, to give them some feedback, because I think that mentorship is so important. And a lot of these student athletes, they, they don't know how to go out and, and get mentors. So I kind of I kind of get on some of them when they don't follow up and when I try to, you know, position them with someone. So that has been a process. But I think that really, really giving them new examples, new mentors, new people to aspire to be like is, is, is key. And I think that that's necessary.
0: I love that you just took the conversation in this direction because literally my next question for you was going to go back to talking about, you'd mentioned earlier, one of your idols, someone that you looked up to was Lisa Leslie, and she was a great basketball player, one of the best of all time in her sport as well. I was going to ask you, do you have an idol, whether they played athletics or a role model, somebody that you've learned from maybe in mentorship aspect that. Was able to make that transition and helped you see, like, were you able to get that same type of experience that now these student athletes and and just people in general can get by listening to your podcast?
1: I wouldn't say that it was a particular person. Okay. But I think the amazing thing about today's world is you can have virtual mentors. So whether it is a podcast I'm listening to or a YouTube channel I've subscribed to, like I said, I'm a big Eric Thomas fan. I've watched every video, listen to every podcast, and he has been in my ear 24-7. Um, so really, really, I think that if you can, not and a lot of times, I think that in today's day and age, we're doing something that. Maybe hasn't been done in the way that we want to do it. So there might not be a person who can mentor you. But if you can take this, but if you have like I I encourage students to get four or five virtual mentors. I don't care if it's a Gary V or if it's a Grant Cardone or if it's Barbara Corcoran, like whoever it is, like find some people who are doing what you want to do and then just study them. The same way you studied your favorite athlete and you wanted to have uh, Allen Iverson's crossover or MJ's fadeaway, like figure out how you can piece these things together and let them mentor you along the way where you want to go.
0: I love that. Another amazing highlight to just say that we can. It's so easy these days, too, to have virtual mentors. And it literally is like the same thing as when you're a kid and you're watching all these great athletes and you're imitating them and trying to be just like they were. So that is Awesome. Now, I want to transition to your podcast. Talk about that for a little while. You'd already talked about some of the great things that has come as a result of it and the way that people can learn. But I love, I mean, we're on a podcast <laughs> right now and I just love learning from fellow podcasters and being able to pick their brains or learn from their experiences. But what would you say is maybe your favorite aspect of podcasting?
1: Oh. That is tough because I'm obsessed with podcasting. Like, (laughs) I'm on a podcast 24 7, 365. I absolutely love it. (laughs) I think that maybe personally, my favorite thing has been getting out of my own comfort zone. I'm always. Preaching, whether it's on campus or maybe like a, a, a kid I coached a few years ago, I'm telling them, you know, get out of your comfort zone. You have more gifts in you. I never, and I've always loved podcasts. So when I had the idea for my podcast, I was kind of like, oh, it'd be great if someone else, you know, came up with this. But I was like, no, Joy, why don't you get out of your comfort zone, go on Amazon, order a microphone, and <laughs> set up your own podcast. So while I am all, even before I was podcasting, I was always telling my players, hey, you know, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Why don't you, you know, try to get out of your comfort zone? I think that I've had to practice what I preach. So that has been really, really good. Whether it is coming up with solo episodes or reaching out to a guest who's like on my dream guest list and having them on the show, like things like that have really, really forced me to grow when I thought that I was creating this platform for other people, but I've benefited in the process.
0: So one of the things that may be able to help, folks that are thinking about starting their own podcast or going down that path in the future is just exactly how you do it. And I'm talking in terms of how you and I are having a conversation or when you're doing a solo pod, how you put content out there, the way you talk, the way that you act. So from your perspective and the way that you do it, whether it's a solo pod or whether you have a guest on that you're interviewing for a conversation, are you just... Being yourself, like, are, are you? Obviously, you're trying to model it. I'm sure a little bit towards the brand, towards sets for life, and being able to tailor that message to student athletes in a certain way. But is it more just an authentic thing for you versus trying to be like super scripted, or do you need to be super prepared and have those notes in order to have really great conversations or to provide really great content?
1: I think it's a combination of things. I can only be me. And if I'm not authentic, I think that listeners will sense that. They'll hear that. Uh, but I'm also, I have a couple of accounting degrees for a reason. Like maybe I don't like corporate, but I'm very detailed. I'm very structured. So I have my my questions laid out. I'm going through, I'm taking notes throughout the interview. So I'm doing that. Um, but I think that it's also important to think about your listener. My podcast is not for me. I enjoy listening to it, but I want, I'm, I'm thinking about, When I was in the cubicle, when I was 23, 24 years old, when I was fresh out of college, had a couple of years of, you know, work experience and I was in the cubicle and I was listening to podcasts to sort of give me inspiration, to give me hope, to know that I wouldn't have to be in that cubicle forever. So I want to create content that can reach the younger me, that can reach student athletes who are really trying to figure this thing out. So I think that keeping my ideal listener in mind is what allows me to create the content that keeps them coming back week after week.
0: That is such an important note just for any creative outlet, and I'm sure that this will transition us to talking about your book. I'm sure that helped you when you were writing your book, too. I'm sure you can go back and read it and really enjoy it, but the purpose of writing that book, I'd have to imagine, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but I'd have to imagine that there was an ideal audience out there that you were writing that book for.
1: Absolutely. And I mentioned earlier that life leaves clues. And it's so funny because I released the book in 2018. But the book literally started in my phone, like in 2010, 2011. And that's the first thing I say in my introduction. Like, this is the book I wish I had when I was a junior or a senior in college. Because I remember. Uh, Having some amazing speakers on campus come to campus and talk just to the athletes, and we would get fired up, we would get pumped up, we would get information. But I was like, this is really good, but why don't we have people come in and talk about personal finances? Or why don't we have people come in and talk about, you know, some other things? So I was always wondering, and I even had a name for it. I think it was like, life after basketball, like I called it lab or something like that. So <laughs> I, w- even when I was in undergrad, I was like, man, we need more. And I I knew I wanted to play pro, but I was just like, I know, we, but we need some balance at the same time. So I literally wrote the book for current student athletes, former student athletes, people who are really trying to figure, okay, who am I now that I no longer have a ball in my hand, now that I, now that I no longer run track. So I'm definitely writing to those people.
0: Yeah, and I think what you said is super interesting, and I'll try not to go on too much of a tangent here, but I'd interviewed Kalia Collier a few months ago now, probably. She is the owner of the St. Louis surge basketball team and
1: My old AAU teammate, yes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah, so Kalia's awesome. And one of the aspects that she talked about of being a business owner, and one of the things that she wanted to provide for her athletes were some whether it was basic accounting, how to apply for a mortgage, what to look for in a mortgage, real life moments that happen. Just because you are a basketball player doesn't mean that you're exempt from these different things that happen to us in life. So I think that on top of when you're trying to prepare for life after sports, your book probably can even help folks that may still be playing or may still be trying to make it because they're probably still – at those crossroads and other aspects of life. Do you think that that's accurate enough?
1: Absolutely. I think that what Kalia is doing is so, so powerful because a lot of times, whether it's at the college level or the pro level, we forget that athletes are people too. Yes. (laughs) And 100% of us are going to retire, whether it is after college, whether it's due to an injury, whether you play 15 years overseas, at some point life happens And I think a lot of times as athletes, we think that because we're so gifted physically and because things come to us naturally, that once it's all over, people are like, oh, people are going to want to hire me. I'm going to have. But you need to know about your credit score. You need to know about purchasing a home. Like all those things are going to happen. It's all a part of life. And if you only focus on one thing. Life is going to come and smack you in the face. So I think that that's, that's dead on. It's so needed. We need that information because all we ever get is a playbook. But what about, and that's why I call the podcast Sets for Life. Like, I want to give you a playbook for life because at some point, you're not just going to be running these plays and doing this and doing that. You need a game plan for life. Like, life is going to be your biggest opponent. And so many of us never take the time to scout it out. Like, you never went into a game without a scouting report. So why are you walking across that stage going into life Without a plan. Like, that's crazy to me. But it's what we do to our athletes every single day.
0: Yes. And again, I'll try to keep this super short, but I always come back to and I think this generation, this most recent generation that's coming through, especially professional athletics, we're starting to see that tide really turn where they are starting to think about what life after sports looks like when they're still playing. We're seeing it with LeBron James right now. He makes that strategic move towards Los Angeles. He wants to have this big media empire. He's already started a school for underprivileged kids and he's doing this all the while being the greatest basketball player in the world. And so you can either choose to be like a LeBron James who knock on wood is probably going to have another 40, 50 good years of life after basketball, or you can choose to be like one of my other favorite athletes, even though I never saw him play was Mickey Mantle, who ended up spending the final 30 years of his life as a drunk and losing money and having no direction in life. That's really what I think happened with a lot of athletes prior to m- the more recent generations. And it's just really nice to see that that trend is, is starting to end in that you're seeing people like LeBron James or like a Tony Romo, you know, just be able to, to make that smooth transition into something right after sports or even during when they're still playing. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about the book. Always curious with authors, what is the most interesting part about writing a book? Like, was there just something that really just either threw you off or surprised you about the whole writing a book process?
1: Oh, I think realizing that writing is so therapeutic. But it can be so painful at the same time. It's good. And it depends on what you're writing about. Like This might not be everyone's story. But for me, it was the first time I sat down and I really, really told my story. So the book is broken down into three sections. Um, the first section is called Houston, We Have a Problem. And that's where I literally break down the difference between a regular student and a student athlete and how student athletes are so far behind. They're not adequately prepared. Um, and then the second section is sweet spot stories. And in the first chapter in that section, I tell my story, and I don't hold anything back. I talk about, it. and there were, I, I say the good, the bad. There wasn't much good in my story at that point. It was just really, really ugly. So it was painful to really, really be transparent about those things because I hadn't shared with my mom, with my family, with my friends. I told it all in that book because I knew that if I was to sugarcoat things, people wouldn't benefit and people couldn't relate who were going through the same thing. And then the third part is called cheat codes. And that's where I want to give you a playbook. I want to give you a plan. I want to break down some things that you can do to figure out, okay, like how do I figure out what's next? But also how do I take what I learned from my sport? And apply that as I'm moving forward. So I think, like I said, just knowing that writing, it, it can be a release, it can be a creative outlet, but at the same time, it's going to force you to get uncomfortable. Um, and I think that when you get uncomfortable, that's when you are able to produce good that can help other people. So those were two of the things that really, really surprised me about the whole uh, book writing process.
0: Again, the book is called The Sweet Spot, Finding Purpose in Life After Sports. Joy, would you say that this book your podcast, just the work that you do in general? Is it specific to more so basketball players because that is your background? Are you able to connect with players and coaches in all different sports?
1: You know, the last couple of years have been really, really good for me because I coached basketball for a while, but I got out of coaching because I just didn't want to spend three or four hours a day talking about scouting and all screen defense. I thought that there was more to life. So I got out of coaching and I got into uh, academic advising for different sports, as well as being a life skills coordinator, student athlete development coordinator. And that forced me to get out of my basketball bubble because I didn't have basketball as a sport anymore. Sure. I started working with track, uh, football, softball, rowing, golf sports. I never had any exposure to, but I found that, oh my goodness, these athletes have the exact same problems as, you know, as basketball players. And I was able to work with different coaches and understand different cultures. So in my mind, maybe I thought I was writing to basketball players. I use a lot of basketball references because that is my sport, but I think that athletes across the board deal with the same thing.
0: Excellent. Okay. So if there is anyone that is listening to this podcast, wants to learn more about your podcast, your book, I will put that information into the show notes. So don't worry about that. But in terms of just being able to touch base with you or get in touch, contact you, if they want to learn a little bit more versus what they can hear here, or just tell you, Hey, I listened to the podcast. I really liked it. And just say something nice. Is there a way for people to reach out to you?
1: Absolutely. Uh, My website is joywalker.com. Email is info at joywalker.com. A lot of people love social media. You can find me on those platforms at sets for life 314. I would love to hear from you.
0: All right. And I will add that information as well into the show notes for everybody. So that is easy reference. Joy, before I let you go, the show is called Dynamic Leaders and you are on the show because you are dynamic in the way that you are leading student athletes now and the way that you've just been able to navigate and learn throughout your life, but I'd love to give my guest an opportunity to shout out somebody in their life that has really made a big impact in a whether it's leadership or just being able to help them along the way and I know it's hard to narrow it down maybe to one or two, but do you have somebody that you want to shout out quickly?
1: Absolutely. Uh, my junior college coach, Madonna Thompson. Just an incredible leader, um, a dynamic leader. And I think that a huge part of the responsibility of leaders is to cast vision, Uh, because if we don't have a vision, like where are we going? What are we doing? And Coach had a way of literally infusing us with her vision and forcing us to rise up to her standards. So shout out to Coach. She is a dynamic leader who inspires me to this day.
0: All right. Such a great way to wrap up this conversation. Joy, I know we could probably spend you and I just a lot of time talking (laughs) in general about the challenges and the adversity that we're trying to overcome in this industry. But I certainly appreciate you taking some time out of your weekend here to hop on the podcast, join us, share your expertise and your story. And I certainly wish you the best of luck with everything moving forward.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I love this work. It is necessary, so keep it up.
0: Thank you again to Joy for hopping on the podcast. You can follow along with her, the podcast, and learn more about her book by checking out the show notes. Thank you to our sponsor, Sweat With Stods. Go to today and learn what she can do for your fitness, nutrition, and healthy habit lifestyle choices here in the new year. And thank you, my listeners, for coming back week after week. We're off to a great start here in 2020. I'm excited to get even more of these episodes out to you and introduce you to some amazing dynamic leaders. Please stay tuned for all to come. And until next time, take it easy.